So we have one new disease-modifying treatment that just got accepted uh, three months ago, uh, and another one is coming at the end of the year. These are the first uh, drugs that will actually slow down the disease progression, so it completely changed how we should uh, treat, evaluate these patients. We should diagnose them way sooner uh, okay. to, be, to put them on these treatments. Welcome to Startup Health Now, where we celebrate the entrepreneurs and innovators who are transforming health. I'm your host, Logan Plaster. Alzheimer's is a terrible disease. It's the most common cause of dementia, impacting around 55 million people globally. It's a leading cause of death for the elderly, but I think I'm safe saying that mortality isn't actually the worst thing about Alzheimer's. Before they die, this disease robs people of their minds, taking away the interests and knowledge that made them who they are. In a tragic way, it steals people's identities. That's the challenge, and it's a big one. Thankfully, there are incredible entrepreneurs and researchers working to tackle Alzheimer's disease, and I've got one of them on the show with me today. You'll get to hear from Christian Dancero from Perceive AI about how his Canadian company is using decades of work in artificial intelligence and machine learning to predict Alzheimer's years earlier so that the disease can be treated, slowed down, or even cured. After Christian, we'll talk to another founder passionate about helping seniors thrive as they age. Colby Takata built Parasuite after spending years running a senior care facility. His digital platform is designed to empower community health workers, those frontline providers and organizations that really understand the needs of the community on a block-by-block level. While they started with a focus on senior care, they've expanded their mission to new, often neglected communities, and their team is expanding as well. Perceive AI and Parasuite offer two complementary takes on helping seniors live longer, healthier lives. It also represents the marriage of early diagnosis and deep data with daily care delivered by the right people based on that deep data that's being served up in an actionable way. Let's start with our conversation with Christian Dancero from Perceive AI. Christian, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Always good to get an update on what you're building. Let's just explain to the audience what is Perceive AI. Yeah, certainly. So in a nutshell, we are forecasting disease evolution, how patient will progress in the near-term future. Um, And we are starting with Alzheimer's disease, uh, which is our key uh, disease, a very large disease. Um, And we are building a platform around this team to try to address that uh, forecasting. How much can you forecast when it comes to Alzheimer's? Yeah, so we predict the cognitive decline. Explain it to us like we're a non-PhD, non-academic audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So individuals actually will progress in the disease at different stage, right? Mm -hmm. And they will progress in their cognition, so they will decline in their cognition through time up to a point where they become demented. Uh, Obviously, you want to track that uh, at the very early stages. And um, the unfortunate thing is that there is a lot of variability in that uh, population. So one person will progress very rapidly, another person will progress very slowly. Uh, You may have like a kind of different variation in how you progress with like some calm stage. Uh, And that creates a lot of uncertainty for a physician, for a clinician that is uh, trying to put a diagnostic on that patient, and also for pharma to execute on clinical trials 
make effective clinical trials. Now, you're unique in the community and in these interviews in that you have been working on AI, machine learning, academically for a long, long time, long before it was a kind of a kitchen table conversation as it is now. Talk to me a bit about that journey for you uh, in terms of, yeah, the public acceptance of it and just kind of the academic conversations around AI and health. Yeah, um, so I've done my PhD thesis actually on these teams. Uh, it was not that popular at the time, uh, at least not Alzheimer's disease. Uh, we had a 20 years of uh, uh, very, very bad results in Alzheimer's disease. Uh, so it was very difficult. When you say bad results, it just, you weren't, in, in you weren't getting... In clinical trials, yeah. in terms of, uh, of, of success of uh, bringing new therapies into okay. the market. It just wasn't and, working, wasn't yeah, helping. No, actually, 20 years without any new drugs. Now, recently, there is two new drugs that are coming on the market, so it's completely changing uh, the field. It's very exciting. But in the past uh, few years, it was uh, quite difficult to, uh, to, to build that traction and that momentum and, and also convince pharmaceutical companies uh, to adopt or de-risk their strategies. They've been doing the same thing for a very long time without success. Now they are starting to see that uh, they need to change their strategy, which is great uh, and very exciting. And so the first few years of the company, we were really hands-on, trying to build, publish, uh, show evidence of uh, these types of strategy can work and uh, have very good outcome. Uh, you mentioned that in Alzheimer's, there have been some developments, some innovations. What are some of those sort of latest uh, developments? Yeah, so we have one new disease-modifying treatment that just got accepted uh, three months ago, uh, and another one is coming at the end of the year. Uh, so these are the first um, uh, drugs that will actually slow down the disease progression. So it completely changed how we should uh, treat, evaluate these patients. We should diagnose them way sooner uh, okay. to, be, to put them on these treatments. Um, so it's, ex it's exciting for the patient that can actually have now um, that's, solutions. That's right? interesting. Uh, so what I hear you saying is that before there wasn't a lot of reason to, to find it early because there wasn't much we could do. So yeah. if, you have a, if you have a therapy, then all these things that could diagnose you sooner become more valuable. Exactly. So these, uh, the previous drugs were trying to patch the symptoms and were indicated really for the late phase of the disease, so in dementia mainly. Uh, so there was not that much you could do uh, in the early phases. Talk to me about the gap that exists. So you, you, you were in academics and you present your papers, you go to academic uh, uh, conferences like this and, and have your, your poster presentation. Talk to me about the gap between you know, academic discovery and getting to the patient and, and you know, whether it's knowledge translation, whether, you know, whatever it is, um, how can we speed that up? Yeah, so you need to build trust and most of the people that we are interacting with are uh, very uh, old school pharma or clinicians, right? Like they are systems that are yeah. not really, they are pretty refractory to, to change. Uh, so you need to really build trust. You can do it in multiple ways um, <clears throat> through publication, but also some of the new stuff that we've just announced uh, with the platform, with Foresight platform, where we have a new um, EPA compliancy and some security and privacy uh, certification that are coming in the next month. So these are bringing more trust to these stakeholders yeah. and facilitate adoption. Are you part of a sort of a younger cohort of, of founders who are thinking about 
AI in, in a different way? Is there sort of like an old school, new school paradigm here? Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm a bit more old school uh, on that sense. I mean, AI is a tool at the end of the day to really address some specific questions and complex questions that we cannot really address or the physician cannot address by himself. Uh, so it's another layer of insight that we are bringing with AI, but I, it's it's not the cornerstone of everything, right? Like the, the, the whole hype around generative AI, I think is interesting on some specific application, but it's not the solution for everything. Yeah. So you need to be smart in the way or how you apply AI. Uh, Which takes you back to the academic environment where you present the papers and you do the research. Yeah, yeah, you, you need to filter the noise, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, what's next for Perceive AI? What, what are you excited about over the next six to 12 months? Yeah, so, um, one of the big things that we are putting in place right now is a learning network of several institutions, international uh, institutions in Canada, US, Europe, and uh, Brazil um, that will start to evaluate our platform. And that's a very exciting um, well, network and environment that we'll be able to deploy and evaluate the platform. So okay. this is one of the big things that we are working right now on top of the certification that we... And that's about gathering, having sources of data, is that the idea? Yeah, and actually trying to test it in the ends of clinician, like how prognostic information or predicting the near-term future of these patients will enable change from the physician perspective, right? Like instead of waiting for symptoms to deteriorate, they can take action right now if they know what's gonna come next for these patients. Um, so that's gonna be very interesting to see how the behaviors change in terms of ordering tests sooner, not doing those long watchful waiting that they are currently doing and streamline that process or that diagnostic process to put them on a treatment sooner. Very interesting. Well, Christian, it's exciting to hear this update. Very interesting to hear that you have these opportunities to partner with institutions to sort of run the numbers and see how you're able to diagnose. And really interesting, this combination of uh, new therapies unlocking the value of early detection which yeah. is going to be huge for Perceive AI. Yeah, ultimately it's prevention, right? That we, are, that we want to achieve and more personalized or precision medicine that we want to, to achieve at the end. So we're getting there. Yeah. Last question. You, you got, I, I'm guessing you got into Alzheimer's because there was a, a, an application of AI that you identified. Has that opened up an understanding of Alzheimer's and this challenge of Alzheimer's? Like, like do you get stories from, from patients and families? Do you hear things? Yeah, I mean, so from a more scientific perspective, it's an incredible challenge, right? It's a very challenging and complex disease. Uh, so this is one part that is extremely interesting. On the other side of the disease side, I mean, your identity is basically defined by your mind and losing it basically strip you out of this. And this is a terrible disease for anybody that is working with his mind. Uh, most of the time and most of my colleagues, like this is really a terrible disease that anything we can do to uh, bring new therapies to the market sooner will be uh, extremely valuable, right? Like we have an aging population uh, everybody is getting older, uh, we don't have that many therapies, and so we, we need to solve that problem uh, given the increased uh, rate of, uh, of that disease, or at least the prevalence is increasing yeah. and is projected to increase quite a bit uh, uh, in the next uh, 30 years. Well, Christian, thank you for doing this important work. We'll be watching your progress as you do those partnerships and, uh, and keep developing this platform. My pleasure. Thanks. Thank you, Logan. Thank you.
Next up is my conversation with Colby Takata from Parasuite. This company is growing fast. We'll talk about their recent expansion from 1 to 20 employees, and they're finding new use cases for their platform. Let's have a listen. It has been really cool to watch your journey. I think last time we spoke, we were in Miami, and you just had hired your first employee. And I think uh, you've grown a bit since then, haven't you? Absolutely. It was, you know, it's our, it's our journeys. And I think back in the days, we had one employee. We were working with a couple organizations in Hawaii, uh, really starting to get our groove and understand the market, understand the needs of the population we're serving. Uh, we have now have grown to about 20 employees across the country. Uh, built out our entire tech team, uh, have implementation directors and managers supporting the work we do with other organizations, um, evolve their business model quite a bit, and happy to share more about that and, and kind of what we've been doing since then. I want to get into the business model, exactly what you've built, but going from one to 20 employees, uh, obviously it's not 100, 1,000 employees, but that is a, that's a big change for mm-hmm. a CEO. And I'm kind of curious, what were some of the ways that you try to stay ahead of the curve and anticipate the needs of a growing team. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, I've, I've worked in different organizations over the, my career, uh, large, small, and you always have these kind of challenges with growing and, and bringing on new people. And I think it's all about how do you establish a really strong culture, mm. a culture of, of collaboration, a culture that can scale. And sometimes those things don't interact well, right? Yeah. It's like, how do you build a team that can really work um, asynchronously? Um, everyone's remote now. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, eight different time zones represented. Wow. And so how do we collaborate together? How do we work together? How do we communicate? How do we um, find ways to get people's input, but also not have to take up everyone's time with meetings all day long? Yeah. And so we've, we've brought some experts in to help us build that culture, some okay. executive coaches, some people that would help us uh, build out our policies and practices, and I think it's helped a lot. Okay, so, so one of your strategies was to seek outside counsel and to really get experts to come in. What's one thing that they, that they helped you implement? Yeah, really starting with our why, right? We, we did a re, uh, redo of our, our purpose and our mission statements, uh, really had to get on the same page, you know, from just being a Nick and me thing to a really a company t- thing. Uh, now that we have uh, executives and, and different individuals at the director level, we wanted their buy-in as well. Mm-hmm. And so even though we we're the co-founders, we wanted to bring in the entire team because they're part of that mission, they're part of that journey, and all their opinions matter. Okay, okay. Now break it down for us exactly what you've built with Parasuite. Yeah, originally we were helping older adults navigate the healthcare system uh, with the social determinants of health. Uh, during the pandemic, people understanding what vaccinations are all about, you know, how do we get them, uh, but also helping with things like housing and food, what we call the social determinants of health. Um, we recognize over the time that lots of other individuals have challenges with the social determinants of health as well. It's not just older adults. Okay. The Medicaid population, those who are disabled, the LGBTQ population, people in rural and remote settings. And so we really developed a, a platform to enable community health workers, okay. which are these lay workers, frontline workers that are amazing at building relationships, understanding needs, and providing navigation services to these resources, and building a platform to help them scale this work, collect good data, and help work with the healthcare system. Help us understand a little bit more about these community health workers. Who are we talking about? Yeah, these could be individuals that maybe have studied a little bit of nursing and and maybe dropped out and wanted to become more of a frontline public health worker. Um, Some of these community health workers were trained during the pandemic to be COVID uh, case managers or case, you know, tracking the COVID. Um, A lot of them are maybe not even having graduated from high school. These are people from the community. They've experienced life. They've experienced things like housing loss or, or instability with their job, or maybe they are formerly incarcerated. These are people with lived experience. They are oftentimes bilingual. They come from the communities in which they serve, and they're gotcha. great at building these relationships and understanding the needs and then helping people navigate those resources. And explain to me in really kind of 
tactile terms how you've evolved their workflow? Yeah, a lot of these organizations that are hiring community health workers are nonprofits, small community-based organizations. It could be a church, it could be a YMCA, it could be groups doing screenings at the local health fair. Um, a lot of these groups aren't on your EHR systems. They're not on fancy systems to collect data. Uh, they're using paper and spreadsheets and notepads. So how do we take what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, build a platform around those workflows, help to scale their work by getting good data and tying it back to the healthcare system by making it actionable, collecting codes for billing, helping to track time and, and different activities and scheduling out things in advance with recommendations. Got it. Talk to me about the business model because when you describe helping somebody uh, like an almost volunteer community health worker, maybe they are even volunteer, we're not talking about high dollar transactions here. So how do you make the business work? Yeah, you know, we started an organization uh, really supporting these small nonprofits. And these nonprofits don't have a lot of money. So we did it really to understand the market. Who are we serving? Who are we building a platform for? Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes you think about technology is really built to help scale this work. But how do you build technology and use tech to make it simpler and easier to do simple tasks? And for those who maybe aren't tech literate, maybe they don't speak English very well, maybe they don't understand um, the concepts around healthcare that uh, really is important. And, and, and you might see at a, a social worker or a case manager or a doctor level. And so we use technology to really upskill and empower these group members. Mm. Um, our platform helps to collect this data and really tie it back to what are the needs and interests of health plans and health systems. They want to care. They care about Z codes. They care about you know addressing these social needs. They care about increasing engagements, reducing healthcare costs, reducing ED visits, increasing annual wellness visits and screenings. And we're kind of bringing it all together. Um, of course, that could be in the form of just our platform as a SaaS offering, a solution. Uh, we provide our software to organizations that want to just use that. Um, we also work with health plans and health systems that need our support from our community health workers. So we also have a tech-enabled services platform side of our business as well. Okay. Okay. And where are you seeing the greatest traction? Yeah. We did really, really well with these nonprofits, these small groups that really the healthcare system knows are essential to addressing social and health challenges, but they didn't have a clue how to work with these groups. We proved that we can work with them, you know, upskill them and get them on our platform and keep engagement high. When you say upskill, I'm going to pause yeah. you. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah, helping them do things that they didn't know they could do. So yeah. we actually have a recommendation tool that will suggest things to them around resources or programs or maybe supplemental benefits they didn't know they had. Mm. Um, these are things that previously these organizations and community health workers have to think of their, on their feet. That they think of it on their own and they wouldn't have any suggestions or recommendation tools. Um, we can also use data to make data actionable now. So our, our, our analytics tools and our dashboards will actually suggest things and, and make it easier for them to close the loop on these, these uh, resources. And so that really helps these community health workers do their work faster, cheaper, easier, at scale, and, and more effectively as well. Got it. So you've sort of identified who these folks are who are incredibly influential in their own communities and then figured out how to kind of lift them up, empower them, help them do more. Exactly. And now the health plans are excited, right? They want to know how to work with these groups as well. Health plans know they can't address food access on their own. They don't know housing. They don't know how to get people from the Medicaid population uh, into you know, the healthcare system to get on technology to use telehealth, but these community groups do. And so if we can be the bridge between these groups that are doing this work every day, who have the specialty and the skills and the resources in the community, uh, with the health plan's interest, we can really close the loop on the healthcare system's biggest gaps and make the health plans really, really happy. And that's a, they've been very excited to work with us. They're paying us to work with these groups. Um, we actually have 100 organizations in the pipeline to implement over the next Fantastic. year. Um, so they're very excited to work with these groups, but it, it's not easy. That's a fantastic pipeline. What do you think it is that is, if you could put your finger on something that's kind of triggering for them, mm -hmm. it's like, we need this. What is it that's kind of peaking their, their needs? Yeah, you know, obviously there's, there's money involved in 
buzzing trash transactions, um, but we're seeing this policy shift across the country around reimbursement for community health workers. Okay. Uh, previously, community health workers weren't being paid by any Z codes or billing codes uh, because it wasn't recognized as a, as a profession. They aren't certified, Got but it. a lot of organizations, specifically Medicaid plans, are seeing our Medicaid systems and Medicaid states are seeing that these are really the key to addressing social services of health. And so they've actually adopted billing practices and reimbursement codes for community health organizations, community-based organizations to do this work. And so now if we can connect the dots, health plans can actually activate these groups without having to pay them directly. Yeah. The Medicaid plans will pay for them. And that's a regulatory shift that's been relatively recent? Absolutely. Uh, we just came back from Kansas where we closed a new contract. Uh, July 1st of this year is when they started billing for Medicaid uh, through community health workers. Fascinating, fascinating. Well, Colby, love getting the update. I hope that next time we, we talk, it's as much growth or 10 times more uh, because I know that you're really helping these folks on a community level. And uh, I love how you're empowering community health workers. And I love that the incentives are aligning so that people who uh, are paying for this work, they, it makes sense for them too. Absolutely. So. And thanks so much for you and the team. Uh, we really appreciate all that startup health system for our, our company. All right. Keep it up, Colby. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back again with another episode next week. 